So, yep, like Mike said, we're reading um, from Luke 7, verses 1 to 17. And if you have those Bibles from the back, uh, they're on page, starts on one page, on page 1034. When Jesus had finished, finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. This is why I do not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. The men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. And as he, as he approached the town gate, a dead person was carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When Jesus... When the Lord saw her, this heart went out, his heart went out to her and said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bier they were carrying him on, and the bearers stood, stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to his people, come to help his people, sorry. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. All right, let's uh, get into this passage. Um, we're going to uh, have a look at Luke. It'd be good to have the, the Bible there um, as we um, have a look at that passage and a little bit more of Luke chapter 7 uh, and the outline there on page 5. Um, has our, our three points that might help you just uh, keep track of where we're heading. Now, as I mentioned at the beginning, um, uh, today we're thinking about compassion. We're thinking about compassion. And I wonder whether you can think of moments of great compassion. Not a rhetorical question. Can you think of anyone who's compassionate and what they did? It can be a little gesture, it can be a big thing. Can you come up with anything? The world's compassionless, is that the conclusion? Let me give you a definition and then see if you can come up with one. Compassion, the way that uh, the researchers uh, have been uh, thinking about it, is 
defined as a feeling that arises when you are confronted with another's suffering and feel motivated to relieve it. So there's emotion behind compassion, but there's also a motivation to go and to relieve that suffering. Can you think of anyone who's been like that? No? Thanks, Steve. Yeah, that's that's true. That's true. There's lots of acts of kindness and moments of kindness where we think that why have people done that? And sometimes it's because they see someone's pain, suffering, whatever it is, and they want to help. Compassion isn't just empathy. You're motivated to go forward. Uh, Mother Teresa would be a classic example that many people would say she had so much um, her compassion for people less fortunate that she did what she did. And yet there can be smaller moments where you see someone who's struggling and you help them out. It's acts of compassion when we have brothers and sisters who are struggling in some kind of pain and grief and we try and help them by giving them a meal. If you do it out of the motivation of seeing their pain, you can do it just out of making yourself look good as well, couldn't you? So your heart and your motivation lines up with compassion. You can't just determine it from acts. Uh, I read an, an article about how, what area of health, let me ask a question first, what area of health has the most stigma? Mental health. Has the most stigma attached to it. And I, I read a really great article about how um, what we need to do is we need, we need to turn stigma into compassion. But that's a really good way of putting it. There's this um, uh, professor uh, was talking about how, how you deal with compassion, uh, deal with mental health. So not just to see it as being something you can't deal with, but something in which we really see how debilitating it can be and we want to do something about it because we care. Uh, with uh, James Packer and his health issues and um, Steve Smith and how down he is after what happened with the cricket, there has been some response has been that we need to have compassion for them and forgive them and I think that's absolutely uh, right. But at the same time, it needs to go beyond the celebrity was what this article was talking about and that's really good. We don't just have compassion for people in high places because they do something for us or, or they're, they're famous, but we have compassion for the people who no one knows about, who are in the world's eyes insignificant. Compassion. What is it really and how do we think about it? Well, we know, at least uh, intellectually, that Jesus had great compassion. And if we know that and we believe it, we're challenged to think about how we respond. And that is what I think our encounters today uh, that Jesus has uh, with these people drives us towards. And what we're going to see is we're going to see um, faith. And then in the middle of faith, 
Jesus' compassion highlighted. Okay, so let's have a look at these three uh, stories. We're not looking at all of um, Luke 7. There's this great bit about John the Baptist that we're just going to bypass uh, today that we did in our Bible study groups. But I want us just to focus in on these stories. First of all, uh, what Shannon ha- uh, read to us uh, in the centurion in verses 1 to 10. Have it open in front of you. See, to get to the end of the story, before you reflect on it, Jesus says the centurion has such great faith. It's a big call. Uh, what makes his faith such great? Well, let's have a look. See, what, what took place was uh, Jesus was, uh, uh, when he finished saying things to the people that had just gone before, he went to Capernaum and there was a centurion servant um, whose master really, really valued him. He really cared for him, as we see there in verse 2. And he was about to die. And the centurion heard of Jesus and sent people to him. He didn't go himself, that's really significant. He was a Roman centurion and he had some kind of sympathy at the very least for the Jewish way, which we see um, in what he'd done for them. How much he cared, did he um, convert over? We, we can, You could hypothesise, but we don't really know that. But we know that he had sympathies for and he respected the Jewish way. So he sent elders of the Jews, not himself, to Jesus asking Jesus to come and heal his servant. Jesus has come. His people responding interestingly, a lot of them, especially to the leaders, and now this Roman centurion asks Jesus to come and heal his servant. Why? Have a look at verse 4, what they actually say to Jesus. Well, the way they did it was, in verse 4, they pleaded earnestly with him. And then they said, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogues. And so Jesus went with them. The reason that they came up with is because he's a good guy when it comes to thinking about us. He deserves it. It's interesting, isn't it? He deserves it. He deserves you doing this for him. So hold that in your mind. As the story continues on, they're going. Jesus said he's. He, uh, we find out Jesus goes with them, so he's going to go do it. You'd think, but then before um, they're not far from the house, the centurion holds the whole thing up and says, "Don't worry, it's not going to happen." Because, uh, well, let's read it. Look at verse six, where Jesus starts. Um, the centurion uh, sent friends to talk to Jesus. Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I do not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. That's quite extraordinary, isn't it? The Roman centurion is thinking, no, no, you can't come. I, there's this sense of respect that I don't, I don't deserve you to come into my place. He deserves you to do this. Don't come into my house. I don't deserve you to come. I don't consider you worthy. But he doesn't give up. He says very profoundly, but say the word and my servant will be healed. See, the centurion knows power. 
He just needed to say his words and people responded. He was a centurion. He, a hundred people under his command. He says that in verse 8. I myself a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell one go, it happens. That one, come, he comes. I tell my servant to do something, they do it. The centurion understands when someone has power, their words have meaning and he understands how much power this person has, Jesus, because he just needs to speak and healing can happen. Jesus heard this and what was his response? He was amazed. That doesn't get said much about Jesus, that he's amazed actually. And it's significant because it's Jesus responding with, uh, responding with emotion. Wow, look at this. The Roman responding like this. And he said, as he looked at the crowd, those following him, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. That's really interesting, isn't it? Jesus has just said to all the Israelites, all those who are following him and on the path, I have not found such great faith. And what Luke's done here for us by saying these words of Jesus, he's foreshadowing that Jesus didn't just come for a group of people already established, he's coming for all the nations. Because right at this point, we have someone who doesn't belong having the real faith that is needed. And so, what do we expect to happen? Of course, Jesus heals him. He found the servant well. So what is this faith then, in this story? Well, if we're to define faith from this passage, I think we can see it this way. Faith is defined as a plea to Jesus to offer his power, even though we're unworthy. You see how the centurion pleaded with Jesus to give him the power that Jesus has. But he didn't just do it because he demanded it, because he deserved it. He made it clear that he didn't didn't have any right to that power. He was unworthy. So this great faith is unique in that it's seeing power and trusting in it, but it comes along with something. It comes along with humility. Now one of the things that we are brought up to believe in the Western world, uh, that our kids often get taught in schools and that our sportsmen, our celebrities, all our reality TV shows tell us is that you're to have this kind of faith in power. But what's missing is humility. Because what you need to do, you need to champion yourself. You need to have great confidence and under all situations, talk about how you can do it, that you can have confidence in yourself, that you are the greatest. 
when you watch any reality TV show, when you hear anyone talk, they will say, I had to believe in myself regardless of everything else. It's all about me. The good of building up our kids, which is right and good, has a problem in the way that we go about it when we teach them that their confidence lies within their own ability and their own self. Humility, right humility, can be forgotten. Where we see that, well, the humility of Jesus is the example. And the humility of the centurion where he realises his place of not being deserved is what faith is great. This great faith is not to think about it in a way like it's a measure, like it's uh, you measure. Oh, this person's got ten percent of faith, and this person's got twenty percent of faith. I think that's when we get ourselves into all sorts of trouble if we think about it like that. It's not like we are um, two people who love and follow Jesus. Look at someone else; they they have such great faith, and I just have faith. Because all are to have this unique faith. You see, it is just to trust with humility that Jesus has power. That is what this great faith is. So, we see the centurion trusting in Jesus, that acknowledging that he has power. So then in this very next story, which only goes for a few verses, we see this power proven by Jesus in amazing ways. He confirms that his compassion comes with power and it is completely unmatched. So in the next story, just a little bit afterwards in a town called Nain, they meet a large crowd and as he's getting to the gate of this town, a dead person was being carried out. That's tragic enough. But what makes this story even more tragic, it was a son, an only son, and not only the only son, but of a widow. It's a tragic story. A people, a crowd of the town mourning with her. And then we read in verse 13, have a look at it there with me. The Lord saw her. His heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. Jesus truly had an emotional response for suffering and he wanted to relieve it. And so he went and told the man to get up. And then in verse 5, it's a very simple, short story. Because what should amaze us is just the moment of what actually happened. It doesn't need to be kind of flowery and described in all sorts of manner of ways. We need to sit quite simply and reflect on the dead man sat up and began to walk. It doesn't need to be um, described in full detail because we've got a child dead walking around. How does that sit? 
It's a great story to actually have the week after Easter, isn't it? As we reflected on Jesus rising from the dead, he's pointing to the fact that he can do what we celebrated last week. He came back alive, this this son. And Jesus showing his compassion. Uh, I love the little end of verse 5. Jesus gave him back to his mother. He's your son that you love. If compassion is being able to relieve someone's suffering... That's a pretty good effort. The people, well, they this time were amazed. They praised God. They said, he's a great prophet appears amongst us and God has come to help his people. The people are saying he's good. They're kind of identifying that he's helpful and that he's a great prophet. God has come to help his people. One Kings, um, uh, there's a story of Elijah and that story in Elijah that we won't go to in detail is as we're being reminded of that story that Jesus is a prophet like Elijah because exactly what's happening here is a story that's being written in the same way that of a story that Elijah did. He's a great prophet. Is he more than that? Jesus has power over death and compassion to deal with those who are caught up in suffering and pain. We can comfort We can help relieve suffering in some way. If someone has a financial need, we can help relieve that. But Jesus can relieve suffering in a way that you and I can't even imagine. And so we've got great faith. We've got Jesus confirming compassion. And then after a whole uh, series of events with John the Baptist which is not surprising that that turns up there because he came in the line of Elijah and Elijah's been referred to. Um, After that whole event, we get the final story that we're going to look at today. A woman who barges her way into a meal with a Pharisee and Jesus says that her faith saves her. Let's have a look at this story. Verse 36, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house And he reclined at the table. So the Pharisee, um, whether uh, how he was thinking towards God, in one way we get a little insight into him. Um, But he certainly wants to be seen with Jesus because he's impressive and Pharisees like to be around those that are impressive. And so they're at the table. That's a sign of really having fellowship. And if you're at the table of someone, but then it's not just like um, just having a meal and you move on. This is a sign of fellowship and you're in right um, uh, relationship. But then in verse 37, a a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So there's a sinful life. She was eating at the Pharisee's house. uh, And so she just comes there. I kind of was thinking about this. Imagine that. You're having someone over who's really significant dignitary and another person who you don't know from the wrong side of the tracks, who you would never really welcome to your house, just kind of comes on in and helps themselves. She came in with an alabaster jar of perfume, very, very expensive perfume. And then we find out what she did with it. She started crying. And she's standing at Jesus' feet. The Pharisees, on one level, I can go, okay, he's a bit bemused by what's going on here, Jesus. Uh, we're having dinner. Like, why are you not doing something? But then we find out there's a bit more to the Pharisee. 
But what she does, she's weeping at Jesus' feet and then she uses her tears to wet Jesus' feet. And we might think that's just super disgusting and gross. Right? I wouldn't recommend you doing that to someone. Has anyone? No, I'm sure no one has. It would be weird. But contextually, we're seeing this is a great act of humility, love and affection. This is what she's actually doing. She is wiping. She didn't have water. She just had her tears and she's wiped them with her hair and kissed his feet. That great act of humility. And, he pour, and she poured perfume on them, probably the only perfume she has, on great expense. It's a great act of selflessness, of acknowledging her place before Jesus and her, like the centurion said, I'm not worthy. She's a sinful, uh, she's described as having a sinful life and there she's weeping because she knows her life and here is this man who is clearly from God. And all she can do is humble herself. And there's nothing more humbling than kissing someone's feet and wiping them with your hair with your tears. We don't need context or cultural setting for that. So, it would be quite a bizarre moment to be there. Imagine being there and seeing that play out. It's a bit weird, right? Well, the Pharisee didn't just think it was weird though. Verse 39, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is. She's a sinner. His heart is revealed. He sees the woman and he, he doesn't think, well, why is Jesus doing this? And he's welcoming her and that's amazing. He sees Jesus dealing with a sinner. He's clearly got it wrong. He's a prophet. I wanted to be around him, but he's so dodgy. Jesus knows how people think. And Jesus answered him, I have something to tell you. And, and he says, tell me, teacher. And we get this story. Let me just read you the story. Verse 41 that Jesus gives. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Jesus asked. And Simon said, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And Jesus says, you have judged correctly. It's not, not rocket science, right? <laughs> of course, that's the case. If someone's got a bigger debt, you're kind of more relieved. If you owe someone 10 bucks or you owe the bank $300,000 on your mortgage and you've got no way to pay it and someone pays it for you, I'm pretty sure you're going to be more thankful. It's not rocket science. But Jesus is saying that is the illustration you need to see about how grateful this woman is and how grateful you are about coming to me. And so he turned toward the woman and then started speaking to Simon. And if you have uh, verse 44 uh, there in front of you, what you'll see is Jesus says, do you see this woman? And then he says, you, and then he says, but this woman. Then he says, you, but this woman. Have a look. He says, I come into your house, you did not give me water for my feet, but she uh, wet my feet with her tears and wiped them. You did not give me a kiss, a greeting and a sign of respect, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, uh, another, another sign of respect. 
She has poured perfume on my feet. Who's the one that's grateful to have me in their presence, Simon? And so, his conclusion is, her sins are forgiven. I tell you, in verse 47, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. That is, Simon, you're not really forgiven at this point because you haven't asked for it and you don't really see your need. So Jesus makes it very clear and says to the woman, imagine this, you're a sinner. Your life is full of regret. We know it's full of regret because the way she was weeping when she made the effort and quite in confronting way come to Jesus the very thing that she needs what compassion does she need what suffering does she need well she needs something taken away that can't possibly be taken away her sin verse 48 your sins are forgiven now the other guests Possibly those who back earlier were saying we're filled of awe and praising God and saying he's a great prophet and now saying, who is this? Even he forgives sins? A prophet? Well, okay, but to forgive sins, that's you, you can't do that. He's either a fraud or he's something that we haven't even considered yet. And then after they say that, Jesus finishes the account by saying to the woman, great words of relief. Great words of comfort. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. These are words of comfort. These are words that give someone great confidence. Jesus is saying, the thing that has ruined your life, you now are free from it. You can have peace. Your faith has saved you. This is extraordinary what Jesus has done. And Jesus isn't telling the woman that, uh, you know what? You're actually not as bad as you thought. You did all those sins and you're sinful, but you've done some good because you had faith. As if her faith is a good work and it's because she's done a good thing that she's been saved. We don't want to... Uh, miss the context of what Jesus is saying. He's saying your faith has saved you because when you respond rightly to me and what I have done completely, you can be forgiven. When you respond rightly, that's how your faith saves you. Faith is not something that takes away grace. God giving us something we don't deserve and him dealing with it for us completely. Faith is responding to what God has done. They're not separated ever. In fact, when we look at Ephesians in depth, we'll see that. The reading that uh, Gabby read in between the songs. Faith is actually also a gift from God. It's part of the grace that he's given us. Faith is a gift from God. So there we have those three stories. We have the centurion who humbly accepted who he was and the power of Jesus. We've got Jesus confirming how much he loves and has compassion and how he has the power by doing something that is quite extraordinary. And then we've got faith that says because just coming to God, coming to Jesus himself and acknowledging uh, her place before him. 
What do we take away from these great stories? Other than they're kind of quite amazing. Well, I've said there in the outline that I think we need to remind ourselves that we depend on a compassionate God. God's, firstly, his compassion is unparalleled. We see in the Lord's Supper, what we remembered today is about God giving himself up completely. We see compassion is when you help to relieve someone's suffering, you kind of take, you, 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 uh, you, you, you help them, literally. You, you join with them in their suffering is kind of what compassion means. That's where it literally comes from, to join with them. Jesus on the cross didn't just join us with our suffering, he took our suffering on himself. His compassion goes way above and beyond what he even did for the widow. And we we know his compassion because of the death and resurrection. Do we see God in that light? Do we forget sometimes? Because God has done everything for us. Even when life is complex and confusing and hard to understand, as indeed the Lockeries and and the Newmans are struggling with now, Jesus took up all our pain and suffering and bore them on himself. The, the sinner is just like you and I, broken from God. And Jesus forgave her sins because he wants us to know our sins are forgiven in his death and resurrection unparalleled compassion it's good for us to remember and to be reminded especially in times when the world throws up things at us that challenge our thinking that challenge us in our experiences because what can't be taken away no matter what's thrown up at us is that Jesus came into the world that God became flesh and that he took all our pain and suffering, our sin on himself. And that trumps everything. And so if God's compassion is unparalleled, let me just ask you quite simply, every single one of you here today, do you have their faith? It's the only faith you can have. It's not an added option. You've been a Christian for a while and you oh, this is the extra step. No, this is the faith. There are no super faith and other faiths. You live it out better and better and some days we forget and don't work it out. But faith is just quite simply having the humility to realize your unworthiness before God. Realizing God's power to deal with your problem and then to trust in his loving compassion to save you. One of the best ways to break away the mystery of faith and to remind yourself that it's not a blind leap in the dark as if there's no evidence, as if all the evidence we talked about um, over Easter um, isn't, isn't there and there's nothing and it's just a blind leap in the dark, is to see faith as trust. They're the same thing. 
but trust doesn't have that sense of blindness to it that sometimes in our context today has. It is to trust in something that you have reason to know and believe. And that is what Jesus is for us. If you're a follower of Jesus, remind yourself again that that is what it is. To trust in him, knowing you're unworthy, and yet he makes you worthy. You don't do anything. You just are so thankful. And if any of you are wondering, should I give Jesus any thought? Today can be that first time, if you have that clarity, where you don't need to go through some rituals, you don't need to go through um, a period of two weeks where you be an extra good person and then God will say your sins are forgiven. You today realise, I am unworthy, but he's died for me. I've got a lot of questions, I haven't got them all sorted, but I know that to be true, I'm going to trust in him. You have that faith and you are one of his people. And you can do that for the first time today. And that's why Grove is here and that is why we want to encourage each and one of you to work out your faith. And let me um, also be clear that uh, faith is not a moment in time or trusting in Jesus, if you like, is not a moment in time that you do. I can remember the day when I trusted in Jesus and now I get on with other stuff. Jesus told that sinful woman she's forgiven and to go in peace, to go and now continue to live in that peace of trusting in me. We live a life of continually coming back to God when we get it wrong, renewing our need to trust in Him. Remembering the times when we like to have control, and owning up to them. Do you remember the times when we think, you know what, I know what's best here? And owning up to them and saying, well, that was me trying to take God down a peg. Remember the times when we are arrogant in the way we behave to others or in our own minds. And we own up to them. And remember, we need to trust in God and not our own ability. We should have great belief in ourselves and have good self-esteem in Christ. We should tell ourselves, I can do this, but not because I am some super special person and that I'm better than everyone else, because we are in Christ. Faith is not a moment in time, it is a way of life where we go in peace as God's people, trusting in him day by day. Let me pray and then we're going to get up and sing in Christ alone because our faith is only in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks that we can have clarity on how we're to respond to you because it's so simple the way that you've revealed it to us just to depend upon you, trust in you for taking up our sin, trust in you for knowing how, uh, what uh, life's all about, trusting in you day by day when we don't understand life. 
and doing it with great confidence and peace because we know we're forgiven. By your Spirit, instill that into us deeply. Father, don't give us a distorted view of faith. Give us real centurion faith. Give us the faith of the sinful uh, woman who humbly laid herself before you. Amen.